Why, hello and welcome. Welcome to the Peer Pressure Podcast. I am Diane, sometimes known as Diane Kamikaze, and I am your host. The reason why I do this podcast is because I like to say I am a champion of heavy music. I've always found my favorite songs since I was a young kid had riffs, hooks, were either metal, hardcore, hard rock, or punk, or something fairly aggressive in attitude and sound. And I am all about appreciating the people that keep that world going, whether they're musicians, webmasters, other podcasters, record label and festival owners. It's important to me to recognize what these people do in that realm of music. So I am here to bring them to you in a different context, more than a Wikipedia entry or a press release, a little more personal and a lot more fun. I'm a rocker for life, and I hope these episodes do make a difference. Send me feedback at diane at wfmu.org. And my Facebook page is Diane Kamikaze Farris, Rocker for Life. Like my page there, and I will keep everybody updated on podcast episodes in that space. Thanks so much for listening, and stay tuned. This show was originally September 6th, 2012, right smack in the middle of the 20th anniversary celebration for Thrill Jockey Records. So you will hear myself and Bettina mention the anniversary. And the conversation skips around a little bit, but I really wanted to provide enough background and her conversation is great. So apologies for the skittishness of the way it may come off from time to time, but Bettina's enthusiasm for music is infectious. That's really at the heart of this piece. So enjoy, and it is not Thrill Jockey's 20th anniversary. They're way past that now. Thanks to Bettina, and their website is thrilljockey.com, T-H-R-I-L-L, jockey.com. All right, now, stay tuned. Today's guest is Bettina Richards, who's the founder and owner of Thrill Jockey Records. She lets us in on what it was like to start the label, as well as some of her favorite music. Bettina, are you there? <laughs> She's actually not there. She'll be ready in a little while. So what I'm going to do is uh, start off with her first set. Bettina is a very busy woman. And uh, Thrill Jockey is celebrating their 20th anniversary this year with shows from coast to coast. Some really great shows, which she'll be talking about in a little bit. But uh, we're going to start with with her picks. This is the first set of her picks and she'll be in after a couple of songs. So we got some liturgy. They are friends of WFMU for sure. We'll be talking to Bettina in a little while. Stay tuned.
Are you there? I'm here. Oh, you're there. <laughs> Good. So my guest is Bettina Richards of Thrill Jockey Records. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. You have a crazy schedule. <laughs> and an awesome playlist so far. Oh, cool. I'm glad you like it. Yeah. And quickly, I want to congratulate you on the anniversary of your label. Thank you. It's good to be 20. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes, absolutely. And you've got some really great stuff uh, going on. You want to just talk about that a little bit? Um, Wandering amongst you, the fantastic Black Twig Pickers. Yeah, who are the Black Twig Pickers? The Black Twig Pickers are a bluegrass band from Virginia. I actually first uh, met them through Jack Rose and... They really focus on uh, a very specific regional kind of bluegrass. Their music is, they do a regular um, dance night. Um, it's its really pure stuff, and it's incredible to surround them and, and watch them do what they do. They do something that uh, I, I've, I'd only heard about called fiddlesticks, where the fiddler plays, and then another person plays percussion on the fret of the fiddle while he's playing and it's really something to behold it's wow um it it, need, it requires no amplification just gather around them and yeah and you'll want to dance <laughs> and, you, and you said they're going to be in the crowd yeah in between the bands and when when the doors open they'll just wander around stand by people and start playing oh that's cool yeah wow that's how to i think it's the best way to see them you know no separation mm-hmm. um right in the middle that's the way they do it all the time in virginia so wow very interesting. Neat. You've got things going on coast to coast. That's right, yeah. We have a big show in Baltimore, um, Portland, San Francisco, Los Angeles, and London. It's been 20 years, so looking back, did you think that you'd be having anything like this going on for that anniversary? I mean, I certainly never thought about, oh, geez, what am I, what will I be doing in 20 years? At, I, I didn't I think I didn't think much beyond um, how am I going to get this HP Zinker record made at the time because that was the first, the first record we did. Mm. Um, you were probably working too hard to even think about the future. Uh, working hard, trying to figure out how to get it all done and and not make uh, huge mistakes. And I worked at Pier, the late great Pier Platters at the time, so it was just juggling, you know, covering my rent, getting to work on time, and making sure I. Uh, did what I promised to H.P. Uh, Zinker and Gaunt and Freakwater and uh, all the early records. And when you went into to doing the label, did you really start decide to start a label, or was it more about like your first release and you just really wanted to put out their record? No, I, I had worked at, at London Records and Atlantic Records um, just because I was, uh, you know, I still am a massive music fan and like a hopeless record buying addict, and I and I thought that would be a, a good a good way to advocate for stuff I like and I found that the system was incompatible with how I think about musicians and music so I I wanted to start a label I was really you know took the model of Discord and Touch and Go which were the profit share labels that I was you know really aware of at the time and um, I I wanted to do that that seemed that seemed and still seems to me like the only correct way of doing things um, is is a true partnership with them so and how is uh, how are things uh, in the quote digital age? How have you adapted? I mean, certainly we tried to embrace the technology early. I, I think uh, Warp was the first label, independent label I knew that had their own digital download store, and we followed them shortly behind. And then we immediately put all our records up for stream, um, mostly because we b- believe that if people could only hear the music, they would like it and want to support the artists. So we, we try to embrace it. I think. 
um, you know, having worked in a record store, having, you know, my, my love for music come from many record store clerks who recommended things to me. You know, I, I, I don't like what it does to, you know, all the hardworking people at record stores. It's, it's, it's really, really unfortunate um, in, in that regard. But, you know, I have to spend my time trying to adapt to what is and not what was. So that's what we focus on. And I do want to just emphasize what you said. Again, all of your releases are full-length streams on the website. Yeah, there's a couple of exceptions um, where the artist wasn't comfortable with that. But mm-hmm. that's, you know, and I respect them for that. So by and large, I think all but one or two artists, everything is streamed and has been for a long time. So you can go there and listen away. <laughs> yeah, that's super. Um, and and speaking of listening, you did just uh, DJ your your first set in this um, in this program, starting with uh, liturgy. Yeah, we started off with a couple, uh, a few New Yorkers, liturgy um, with the song Generation, and then Mutilation Rights with a song from their new one, Ancient Bloodbath. And uh, we're really stoked at Thrill Jockey to be uh, distributing Gilead Media now. Big fan of what Adam does at that label and. Um, I saw mutilation rights at um, his his festival, and really, they blew my mind, you know. Mm. And liturgy, I think, uh, has blown my mind since day one. They were referred to me through the boredoms, if you can believe that. And, oh, wow. Um, uh, you know, they were amazing as a quartet, and they're fierce as a duo as well. It's really uh, what, what Hunter and Bernard do with uh, just the two of them is, is awesome to behold. So uh, <laughs> I'm stoked about their what they're working on now for uh, next year. Nice. Uh, and then we played Future Islands, mm-hmm. um, Balance. Uh, Future Islands uh, are from Baltimore, and it, it took me about 30 seconds of hearing one note of Future Islands to beg them to let me do their records. I just, it's it's such happy, wonderful, delicious music to bathe yourself in. Mm. Um, and uh, I, I like the contrast of playing like Future Islands in between uh, Mutilation Rights and The Body. Um, yeah. That's how I listen to music. I think, uh, you know, really different uh, sounds bring out uh, all the best in, in the opposites. So, yeah, then we went into The Body, Song of Saren. And, again, they're, they're a band whose records I seek out wherever I can, and seeing them live is is uh, something to behold as well. They're, oh, yeah. Them and liturgies can, can really show you the power of two. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah it, and uh, you're a perfect DJ for WFMU. <laughs> and, uh, you know, like the listeners are totally psyched about it. And, uh, <laughs> and um, so what are we going to go into next? Uh, next we're going to play a brand new thing from Dan Friel. Dan, probably a lot of listeners know him from Parts and Labor. He has been doing solo stuff for quite a while, but not released that much music. I think it's it's super heavy and dirty and makes me want to dance. And then we're going to go into somebody else that makes me want to dance, um, Matmos, and we're we're really excited to be able to work with them. It's it's Drew and Martin's 20th anniversary as a couple, so it just seemed so serendipitous that, that it all came together. Oh, and nice. the uh, singer on that is uh, also from Baltimore, uh, Ed Schrader. And then we're going to go into White Hills, uh, Radiate. I, I picked that because it's really, really one of the first tracks I heard from them, and it kind of encapsulates so many things I love about them. They keep changing what they do, but it's it's a it's a keeper. This one, and then we go into Eternal Tapestry. I think if people who love Eternal Tapestry, this will be a bit of a surprise for them. Um, 
It's almost it's an eternal tapestry almost ballad, if you will. It's from their new record. Wow. Um they they took a really different tact when they recorded this new record in in usually they do really extensive jams and, and edit stuff together. They like to plunge deep into the psych pool, but th- this was a song that had, they had written amongst others on the new record that they sort of decided to record as they had written it. And then we go into Arboretum, uh, who, this is a song from uh, a tour CDR that they do that uh, I think the movement of it and everything really captures the feeling of being on tour, so I thought it was a good one. <laughs> Your enthusiasm is just overflowing, and uh, and it's great to know that after 20 years, you're not jaded in the least. Oh my God, not at all. Having more fun, having more fun now than ever. I think there's been something about uh, uh, just completely being comfortable where you are figuring out some things and really really not caring what anybody else thinks you know we're we're responsible only to the musicians we work for um and we take that responsibility very seriously but the rest of it is like let's just do what we want and have a good time (laughs) oh yeah and i wanted to ask you i had uh mike shite on a couple of weeks ago and how did you uh, get in touch with him I am seriously like a super fan that cannot contain myself and a big geek and uh, I had I'm sure told him how awesome he was at a Yob show and I know his booking agent and when you know Yob had released a new record I was you know I would send him ridiculous useless emails like how great it was and how it was like blowing my mind and so (laughs) when Mike had recorded some stuff at home him and Nathan said oh we should you know, he wanted to do something a little bit different, and it, it's a big sort of risky step for him. So they thought of they wanted to go to a label that was totally different, um, and so they sent it to me, and I was I was thrilled. He's he's a real uh, he's a really sweet guy, and I, I love the sort of '70s classic rock vibe of what he's doing solo, and I love that he takes the risk of going so far out of the of of the Yob zone. You know, I, I think that's brave well well i guess that the geekiness the geekiness came out and it was a good thing yeah yeah i mean it, it def- definitely has benefited me more than a few times i think oval i worked with for a long for many years and still do and i sent them a fan letter so <laughs> you never know like, fan letters are so great yeah <laughs> you know now I, would, I guess i would send a fan email but at the time i sent right. a fan letter well even a fan email people don't send fan anythings enough so awesome so we're going to go into the next set um here's some dan friel my guest is bettina richards of thrill jockey records stay tuned
And we have returned. My guest is Bettina Richards. Are you there? Yep. All righty. <laughs> Fantastic set. Uh, just coming out of that arboretum. What was your first contact with them? You know, a, a friend of mine was, they were on tour supporting uh, Will Oldham, and they had a show uh, that was kind of an addition to that tour. And a friend of mine was their tour manager, and she's like, oh, I'm at this little bar over here by your house come over and say hey so i went over to say hey to her and uh yeah fell in love with arboretum <laughs> it's always those uh the, the sort of the the serendipitous things the way yeah. they work like that yeah that's cool hey so they didn't they didn't really have many records out and mm-hmm. I, I was the only person at the show <laughs> <laughs> well they were very lucky weren't they <laughs> it was it was my own private uh private entertainment <laughs> and isn't that though like when you go to shows and it's really under attended but it's a great show it's like you feel great because you get this personal show but you feel bad for the band sure yeah you know for for our 10th anniversary we did this this i did this documentary film with uh, this new york filmmaker Braden king and we kind of asked all these people what got you into music or what what keeps you into music and chris brokaw a uh, guitar player of and mm-hmm. having Pullman and released many solo records. He he talked about uh, at a time in his life when he was feeling pretty low and they were on tour and um, they, they'd had a couple of poorly attended shows and he played this show to basically two people. Mm. Um, and uh, he, he, he had been thinking prior to the show, like, I don't know if I can keep doing this. And um, after the show, the, the two people came up and... and told them they had driven up from, I think the show was in Cleveland, I think he said they drove from, like, Texas or something ridiculous <gasps> to, see, to see the band. Wow. And um, they were so appreciative that that kind of, for him, um, he tells it much better than than I am now. But basically that cemented his, his uh, affection for what he was doing and, and kind of deepened his understanding of it's not how many, you know, right. are there. Yeah. That it all matters. So, um I agree. I think it's depressing, and I and I know people are trying to make gas money, and and so I always try to buy buy some T-shirts or whatever if I can to help them out, especially at shows like that. Mm-hmm. But um, 
but it does matter. You know, it does make a difference. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And um, what would you say one of your greatest rewards in terms of, uh, you know, looking back on the, the years you've had the label now? You know, I, I think certainly uh, we're, we're known for some of our most commercially successful bands, but there's definitely been things that we've achieved with people who maybe are far lesser known or whose commercial success wasn't as great, but to be able to get the record and and complete their, their artistic vision, execute, I should say, their artistic vision exactly as they wanted, wanted to, is really great. I, I really admire the saxophonist Fred Anderson he's he's a big inspiration to me and he you know he'd never overdubbed before and he'd never recorded in a in a in a studio and um being able to to have him have those experiences in the way that he wanted to do it with Hamid hmm. was really great and in return I got probably one of the best lessons and understandings of of how him and Hamid Drake think about improvisation and that it's a language and that it's a learned language and it, just the depth of understanding they gave me is, is you know far greater than anything I ever was able to do do for them so wow. you know it's things like that that are the that are the really the the payday or someone you work for turns you on to some record that you you think I probably wouldn't have stumbled on this otherwise and that opens up a whole new window to uh like a segment of music that, that that I hadn't stumbled upon before and and one of those records might become one of your you know go to always spin records so those are the kind of things I think are really the payoff, you know, we're not making a lot of money, that's not the point. I mean, mm-hmm. the point is to make a lot of money for our bands, but it, it doesn't always work out the way you want it to, so. How long did you work alone on the label before actually hiring help? Uh, I, I worked alone for, I think, probably four four years, and then people started helping me, and then I started paying someone probably five years into it, and I probably started paying myself eight eight years into it. Wow. I bartended for a long time, you know. Booze is good for money. <laughs> it is. <laughs> so that that that. Never that thought of changing me, yeah. the name of the label to like Booze Jockey or anything. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm a straight edger, but yeah, <laughs> fueled by booze. <laughs> oh, Got to give credit where credit is due. Yeah. We have a question from one of the listeners. They want to know what the first record you bought as a youngster was. Let's see. The first the first records I acquired, I have to say, were inherited or stolen. I got like some swing records from my father, like Glenn Miller and stuff like, you know, Pennsylvania 6500, and mm-hmm. I love those records, and a record by a band, I can't remember what they, the band name was, but the, the song was called You're So Ugly, and it was like a, <laughs> a real kind of traditional jazz song, and and then I stole some records from my sister, um, like the Contortions, which was really a big uh, awakening for me to realize you can you can really be a geek. And uh, I think that opened a huge amount of doors for me. Mm-hmm. But the first record I, I, I think I bought was, um, I think, Sticks, a Sticks record. Wow. I don't, I don't know. It's hard for me to tell. I got a Saturday Night Fever soundtrack, which I think I got, I think I asked for for my birthday. And then I'm pretty sure I bought a Sticks record. Maybe I bought uh, a Foreigner Years Cold as Ice 7-inch. That could be it. It's, one, it's something really classic Rocky and unimpressive. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you for not hiding the truth. <laughs> oh, you know, I still like that song, so it's a good song. <laughs> awesome. Well, I want to thank you for taking time out of your day, because I know you, you are juggling a, a million things over there in uh, in Chicago. Um, is there anything that you want the listeners to know about you or about the label? 
Um, I mean, sure, there's lots, lots that I want them to know about uh, all the bands we work for. I think uh, hopefully they will take the hard work that everybody here does and be inspired to, to do it themselves. I mean, that's that's the thing. It's a lot of hard work. You gotta, you, you really gotta be willing to put that in. But the rewards are, you know, huge. And um, I feel like every, myself and every all all the people that work here. Um, and a huge amount of interns. We couldn't do anything without the interns. I, I should have interns on stage at every show because the interns <laughs> really... I started as an intern for a Hoboken label called Telstar Records and oh, wow, put out yeah. the mummies, and uh, mm-hmm. interns really make the world go round. So we should all... Everybody should raise their glass of whatever to an intern. And I want to just thank you because, uh, one, it is a lot of hard work, and now that you just told us that... Uh, that you never you didn't pay yourself for eight years that's that's pretty remarkable uh, and but thanks for being so open-minded enough to really create the unique label that thrill jockey is and taking the initiative because uh you know we all benefit well i hope so i hope so yeah <laughs> yeah absolutely so what are the next uh, the next couple things we're going to hear in uh, in your final set here uh we're gonna hear something from uh, brother jt i love myself some brother Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to be lucky enough to be putting out a Brother JT record well into next year. But this is something from uh, a CDR that you probably can buy from his website called Any Stort in a Porm. And um, it, the song is called I Still Like Cassettes. And there's many people in this office that very much love the cassettes, mm-hmm. and even the micro-cassette. So, uh, and they'll be happy that I said micro cassette on the air. <laughs> but, uh, so, uh, the, the song I think reveals his imagination and his, uh, wit and his social commentary and how he's not afraid to let his freak flag fly. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and then I thought, uh, since I know you like the rock, we'll end it with, uh, some heavy with the Kralis. Yeah. Um, I love the Kralis and I love that I have, uh, four-year-old twins, a boy and a girl, and my son, Francis, he loves Kralis, and his father is in the, the singer of The Sea and Cake, and he likes to tell his dad that he would rather hear Kralis. <laughs> really? <laughs> really. So, so we'll have a little boat driver from uh, Kralis. <laughs> That's awesome. We don't know what's, For Francis. what, what the, uh, this, the state of the family is going to be following that. <laughs> But, um, we we used to have fun teasing his father, asking him, you know, doing doing uh, battle of the bands, the sea and cake versus to see which one Francis would pick. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the games you get to play at home. Yeah, awesome. yeah. How you how you uh, dis- dishearten your dad? <laughs> he is a big sea and cake fan, so I should say that. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, you know, and so he's just becoming very open minded, like you. yeah. Awesome. Well, Bettina, thank you very much for visiting with us, and congratulations on the uh, the 20th anniversary. And, you know, your passion for music just comes through so much. I, you know, I could tell that you could talk f- about music for hours, and I know you're really busy. Yep, yep, both are true. That's how I get myself into trouble. We have next Brother JT, my guest. Until the end of the next song is Bettina from Thrill Jockey Records. Stay tuned. I still like a sense 
And that wraps it up for today's podcast. We are WFMU.